Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. Today, I'm your host, Kevin O'Connor. It's September 15th, and I'm in Boston at the Garden. In a couple hours, Arcade Fire will be playing a rock show, which I am super stoked for. But first, I'm sitting here in one of the dressing rooms with the front man from Arcade Fire, Wynn Butler, who you may better know as the MVP of the 2016 Celebrity All-Star Game. We're going to be talking some basketball today. Wynn, thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, How are you doing? I'm, I'm great. Nice to be here. So... You grew up in Houston. Yeah. Born in California, I believe, right? I was born in Northern California, moved to Houston at five. And so I grew up in Houston, um, kind of the height of the Elijah Juan years in Houston. So that's that was my complete basketball education. Um, and I was, uh, my I, I signed up for uh, YMCA basketball in fifth grade and. I just was randomly assigned to a team and my coach was like, man, this guy's really intense. And I kind of learned much later, like a few years ago, I didn't even put it together, but that he had played at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And so it was like kind of like running some Princeton okay. offense stuff okay. with a bunch of fifth graders. Okay. So it was like, I didn't even know why I just got this like really intense basketball education, like in fifth grade without even really I mean, knowing. He, he could have just been like some guy's dad. Yeah. He could have got a coach like exactly. that. But you got a guy was, who went to Princeton. My, friend, my yeah. friend's dad. And I was like, but then I realized, I kind of realized later that was kind of the, what he was kind of teaching us. But yeah, Kim Olajuwon is like bigger than the Beatles for me. Like that, like I learned about, I mean, even just seeing him play, you just knew he was from somewhere different. The way he moved, yeah. everything he did. Play, and Played soccer up until age 17. Yeah, but he's like a dancer, essentially, yep. you know, and the way that he plays is so artistic and so creative and his kind of footwork i i kind of see dancing more than i see soccer even just because it's like it's beautiful it's all it's kind of in the hips and it's like kind of misdirection but it's um so yeah for me that was my what got me into the nba for me it was like really related to art like watching him play was so um yeah, and it kind of, you know, I know about Fela Kuti because of uh, Akeem Olajuwon because I was like, where's Nigeria? Like, where's this guy from? And, mm-hmm. you know, like I learned about, like, that was like my first exposure knowing like where Africa was or what, because I certainly wasn't learning in like Texas history oh, yeah. class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they weren't really skimped over European and African history. When you were that age, well, first I have a stat for you. You're 22 and 11 at the All-Star Game, Celebrity All-Star Game this year. Hakeem's averages were... 21.8 points per game in his career, 11.1 rebounds yeah. in his career. So you're yeah. right on target with Hakeem. I mean, <laughs> his numbers would have been a lot higher. He, he kind of like, he had the, that, that Toronto season. Yeah. Like he kind of like. Yeah. You know. he, he had some big, big years. Uh, yeah. How much how much of an influence was he on you? Or has he did his playing style almost like influence you in other ways too? Because you said he's bigger than the Beatles to you. That's was, a big thing to say. Yeah. I mean, it just introduced me to the beauty of sport and to like really support a team and be kind of all in on every level, you know, cause like some teams are amazing teams, but it's kind of ugly to watch. And like, it, there's no, like, I don't know. I've, I've always really gravitated towards players that really have a completely unique playing style that like you, I mean, that's why I loved Rondo in Boston, just like from his rookie season. It was the like behind the back. He just, he just did he shit that like do. no one would think of. Yeah. And just even his physicality was yep. so different. Um, and I've always kind of gravitated more to those sort of players, you know, in today's NBA, 
one of the kind of outlier teams is the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. Um, with their playing style in today's league, they had they probably started what was one of the craziest summers in the NBA this year, acquiring Chris Paul um, before July one. It's two two ball dominant point guards, James Harden and Chris Paul. Yeah. H- what's your sense about that dynamic? Do you th- feel like those guys can coexist in Houston? Uh, what's their upside as a team with uh, Harden and Chris Paul? Well, Chris Paul is so competitive and hates losing so much and has lost mm-hmm. so frequently. Yeah, they're, they're the it, modern Utah Jazz. When it really Car- matters, you know what I mean? And you can just tell it's like kind of crushed him. Yeah. And so I think that if they just win a little bit, it's going to kind of open up his game so much because he's so creative and so... I mean, obviously, like, Chris Paul can shoot the three like lights out if he gets, you know, which he doesn't necessarily look for. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I have never liked Dwight Howard. I found it really difficult to root for the Rockets when he was on that team yep. just because it's, like, so painful to watch. Yes. I feel um, like every, everybody who's ever watched Dwight Howard has felt that at least at one point. Oh, you're just like, <laughs> well, you're just like with the, the gifts, physical gifts that, that guy mm-hmm. had. You're just watching he, him play. It's like, he he dude, insists on playing in the low post still. Like, you are a horrible low post player. He, like, he was great at one point, though. He was sensational at one point in his career. I mean, it's yeah. easy to forget. No, he and, was. With but Orlando. Like, yeah, but it was still like I stopped watching the NBA during the Shaq years because okay. it was so boring really like it was just like the kind of dominant like is today's style kind of a dream for you then i mean seeing so like the rockets they lead the league in like layups and threes quote-unquote mori ball um seeing the way teams are shooting more threes moving the ball around you you mentioned you stopped watching during those years but has this really been the peak now or or are you still like all about 90s basketball with hakeem no no i mean i think the spur the year the spurs beat miami Mm -hmm. that finals is probably the best basketball i've ever seen like just when you just take a team so much less physically gifted against like lebron kind of at the peak of his powers Mm -hmm. and just like just embarrass them you know just with complete perfect team basketball um that's probably the best I mean, for me, that was the best series of basketball. Was just, I was just watching it, with, not even believing. I hated the Spurs growing up. Like David Robinson, not Duncan, my favorite player. Not a fan. Young Duncan. Well, no, not Young Duncan. I, my wife and I, my when we we started watching some of those like Detroit um, when we were first dating, it was like Detroit and and San Antonio. And she always called him the saddest man in basketball because he always just looks so sad. Like, just like, like, what are you? Come on, man, prick up a Have little some bit. Fun. Like, like, come on. He just looks genuinely yeah. sad all the time. But I came to respect him so much. Like, just pretty much from that season. Yeah. Um, like, I, I remember talking to Matt, and I can't remember the exact detail, but it was like they were kind of the whole season. They were trying to get to a point where every time you received the ball. He had 0.5 seconds mm-hmm. to either shoot, pass, or drive. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, like, they were basically practicing all season. So it's like the second the ball touches your hands, you either pass or drive or shoot. And that in that finals, they actually got to where that was their average. Like, it was like 0.5 seconds of people touching the ball before doing those three things. It was, it was, there's, like, this great YouTube video. Yeah. Like, if you search Spurs, beautiful game or something like uh-huh. that, just them whipping the ball around, yeah. just launching threes, <laughs> attacking closeouts, yeah. you know, for layups. It's it's just, like, six minutes, seven minutes, <laughs> just of pure beauty yeah. watching that. So let's say 
fantasy land right here. Daryl Morey, general manager of the Rockets, calls you up in February. He said, like, when? Forget about the celebrity game. Just forget it. Yeah. I want you to sign with the Rockets. But first, I need you to help me convince ownership that you're the right guy for this roster spot. What are you telling Daryl? How can we beat the Warriors? What are you gonna, how are you going to help? With my game? I yeah, would just be, I would be on the bench. I would be, you know, <laughs> but getting, getting minutes. You're getting 12 minutes per game out there. How are you helping? Um, well, def- defensive rebounds, which anyone can do, like literally anyone can defensive rebound. Well, you're six foot four. So a little small for NBA size, but you, you rebound well for your position. I can re I can rebound against big guys. Okay, okay. It's not, it's really not rocket science. Boxing like out. boxing out yeah. defensively. It's like, they have to jump over your back mm-hmm. if you do it correctly. Um, yeah, just be that and probably just corner threes and fouling people, okay. like getting my five fouls in, you know. Okay. You did beat Matt Bonner in a three-point shooting contest before. I did. It's one of the – maybe the high point of my, my yeah. basketball career. Bonner, 41.4% three-point <laughs> shooter. If you if you look on basketball reference of like minimum yeah. 1,000 threes in their career, he's yeah. like top 10, top 11 yeah. in the NBA. So yeah. I think that's one of your selling points. Maury likes stats. So put that stat out there for yeah, Daryl. No, it's true. And I that, mean, that might be your case. That was more of like a psychological situation because I was just working him you all just day. Beat him down. And Bonner's not really used to being in the spotlight. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like more of a shadows guy. So it's like when all mm-hmm. all eyes are on him. Oh uh, yeah, he just choked he, a little he bit. Was, he was the star yeah. in the gym. And it that was day. like it was like the the moment I've been waiting for my whole <laughs> life. So <laughs> you mentioned Hakeem was an influence on you. Then in today's NBA. Lot, there's not a lot of dominant big men, but one team in New Orleans, Pelicans, have two of them, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins now. Um, what's your sense of that team and the additions they made this summer? They signed Rondo. They signed Tony Allen. They, Drew Holiday's going to be pushed Allen. off that's, ball. That's cool. I have my thoughts, but first I'm curious to hear yours about that team and the roster construct and their upside this year. I mean, first of all, AD is like a once-a-decade yes. sort of dude. I mean, that – that first celebrity game I played in New York, seeing him, I think it might have been his first all-star game. It was kind of like Giannis this year. It's like you just watch him play and you're like, oh, shit. This is like an evolutionary, like just he was the only one I saw that whole thing. And I've seen him do, like I sit courtside in New Orleans. I'm like, I've seen him do some things that I – only ever saw Akeem do like he almost got a quadruple double it was like 40 points 18 rebounds eight assists and eight blocks or something in the first game or he's something like he that. has the potential to do yeah. it. um so he's I just feel so lucky to live in a town where I get to watch him play on a regular basis and I really like Boogie I mean is Boogie gonna help AD though well, is he gonna is he gonna put them into the playoffs so it's like Anthony Davis isn't thinking about going somewhere else once his contract is up in 2020? Well, first of all, the trade was extremely good trade because I the uh, buddy or, or whatever buddy healed uh, that ain't happening. He could be solid. He could be good, but Boogie is a transcendent player. Yeah, is what you're saying. It's that's a no brainer trade. And can you can you co can you 
win in today's NBA, though, with so much spacing, so much ball movement, so much shooting with two big men who neither of them are great three-point shooters. Boogie's not a great passer at all. Boogie's uh, a, a he, decent three-point de- shooter. He's decent. He's, he's decent. Yeah. He's decent. But neither with that team, my fear is this, is that you have a team that's better built for 1997 than 2017. That That's my fear where maybe they do sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, in, but in it's, the not, it's, not, it's not baseball cards. So it's like you kind of get – the opportunities come up when yes. they come up. It's not a fantasy league. It's like it's, it's like Oklahoma it's City like, getting Paul George, Celtics getting yes, Irving. They, they had to take Boogie when they could. They had a gamble. You have you have to do it. And and the thing that I noticed, like because I I was at the the first round, the last time the Pelicans were in the in the playoffs against the Warriors. And basically, whenever they would do that small ball lineup, and AD was playing, they would sm- smoke the Warriors. Mm-hmm. So it's like AD is like basically the ideal small ball yeah. big guy. Like and he beats up Draymond Green too. He beats up Draymond Green like it's a joke. He's like, one of one of the few guys in the NBA who actually Draymond can. cannot check AD in the slightest, and AD's probably changes more three point shots. I've never seen a big guy block as many three point shots as AD does. Like it's crazy. Like excellent perimeter defender. I, I think you know, the, like the he's like Boogie. He's, Bo- Boogie needs to buy in. Yeah, but team. here's here's the thing. I mean, it's kind of about a minutes thing, but like the thing that's cool when they're both on the court, they haven't figured it out. When they're subbing for each other, yeah. it's insanity. You, you have one big going because your backups. backup is like yeah. the other best center yeah. in the league, and so it's like. If they get those rotations right, it's just kind of like this relentless thing. And I think that they should do more minutes like that where it's like you're like – and it would also kind of help with AD's injury stuff too where it's like he's playing not as high a usage and just like relentlessly attacking because it's going to be an advantage against – they're the two best – big guys in the league. Like there's no one that – like, like Boogie like is crazy off the dribble – how about a pick and roll with? I mean, they did this a couple times. That's what everyone. That's the, the, obvi- the, end that's of the, the obvious thing. Pick and roll with either Boogie Boogie's or a, Davis. Boogie's handling. a great dancer. Yeah, I mean, great passer. I mean, um, I'm sure right. he's a great dancer. He sure, yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, like he, I mean, his name like is Boogie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can at least dance a little bit like Hakeem on the court. Yeah. Maybe not quite as well. <laughs> I mean, his skill set is so peculiar because, like, yeah. he's like so big and quick, and then mm-hmm. he is like the lowest vertical in the NBA. Like, he can't jump at all. He's like. But he's got that insane crossover, and he's—I don't know. I'm, and I love Rondo. Like, yeah, they're they're definitely not built the way a modern NBA team is supposed to be I'm, built. I'm worried for him. Yeah, I'm I mean, I, I'm worried. So. I'm worried that at this time next year, yeah. it's right now. It's September 15th. We're talking about Anthony Davis. How he's how he's going to look in a Boston uniform or a Philly uniform, something like that. I'm just. I worried. mean, people are still talking about that crap anyway. I mean, it's like. It's, it I mean, never ends. I mean, that's the next target. Yeah. For, for, he's the next guy that teams will target. Yeah. So, which band is the greatest threat to defeat Arcade Fire in a battle of the basketball bands? It's Pearl Jam, The War on Drugs. Are there any surprise bands out there? Have you had any battles against other bands? No. I mean, it's really just me and my brother that play in our band. Um, I don't know if there's another one-two in a rock band mm-hmm. that could play against so us. So two on two. But um Win and Will Butler can take anybody. In a band. In a yeah. Band. I mean I haven't really played any musician that's that good. Okay. But um there's a couple decent players out there. I mean, I mean there might be some who, who would be your third three on three turn tournament, you and Will. Um anybody that's surprisingly good. 
Father John Misty can play. Oh, really? Yeah, surprisingly, okay. but he definitely played Does at one point. Does he talk shit? Um, I would imagine. I would love to hear Father John Misty talk shit on a basketball court. Yeah, I think I want of, that more than anything else. He kind of does talk shit, I would say. But what? Um, what how is how does is Father John Misty? Um, I don't know if I want to say in character. Uh, when he talks, Josh, shit. Josh Tillman, like yes. as as Father. Yeah, yeah yes. I can't speak to that. Um, I mean, he definitely can't play me, but he can, could play in a pickup okay. game and be fine. When you moved to Montreal, yeah. in two thousands or two thousand one, yeah. Was uh, Tracy McGrady still there at the time? That's a good question. I or was that the summer he left. That was right around, around okay. when he left. Yeah. So that year you moved there. Rick Fox was probably like the greatest Canadian player of all time, yeah. and the league has obviously changed a lot since then. Steve Nash has gone on to become one of the most influential point guards, greatest point guards ever. Incredible. We got Andrew Wiggins, Tristan Thompson, Jamal Murray, R.J. Barrett could be the number one pick in a couple of years. Kelly Olynyk even just got paid fifty million dollars. From crazy. when you moved to Montreal seventeen years ago to now, how have you seen basketball kind of change? In Montreal or in your travels to Toronto? I mean, how have you seen it change in Canada? I mean, I live I live in New Orleans more these days, but my league that I play in, in Montreal is a much higher level than New Orleans. Really? I mean, not I'm not saying across the board, but it's like a, of a general quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Toronto, it's just as simple as Vince Carter and McGrady got people really excited about basketball in Canada. Mm-hmm. And Toronto is a huge metropolis and... So there's a whole generation of kids that grew up knowing, you know, like wanting to play basketball and having having an example. Vince Carter is it's pretty much just Vince Carter, like that who's responsible for basketball in Canada. Um, and Steve Nash is like the weird outlier. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. You like look at a guy like Steve Nash. He's like from Western Canada, like not the most athletic player ever played, and and you just see the amount he was one of the few guys that like got better into his 40s to, like in his late 30s and 40s like he would improve every year yeah. pretty much um and then in you, phoenix they really revolutionized the game but then you're like oh, you're like oh this you can really accomplish so much with hard work but like basically his dad was like a pro soccer player mm-hmm. like he had the genetics another that, guy like, with amazing footwork like Hakeem Olajuwon. incredible footwork yep. so quick like court vision seeing the court slightly differently so um yeah he's he's a really amazing dude too i really like him a lot is one of your greatest what ifs in basketball if t-mac had stayed and played with vince carter i mean that would have been that would have been really cool you know it's one of mine yeah i think i still think about that sometimes especially with mcgrady going to the hall of fame now yeah and mcgrady in houston like they didn't get past the first round until he got injured you know, so I don't know what was going on there, but mm-hmm. you know, it was a weird one. You know, so for a player of that, one of those great players who just never won a title, never, yeah. never won at the highest yeah. level. That brings it back to kind of the Chris Paul, where for me, you know, there might be questions about how they fit on the court, but I think Chris Paul's willingness to go to Houston with a guy who just had one of the highest usage rates in the league um, in really recent memory, I think that shows a willingness to change, uh, and I think that's really one of the keys for these star players that join forces in today's league with so many people getting together USA basketball players um, they need to be willing to really sacrifice that's one of the key things yeah I mean it's it's kind of like a coaching issue too it's like you have to get those dudes to really buy in mm-hmm. 
and play play within within a program you know so i don't know it'll be it'll be interesting to see i mean i still think the warriors are going to win for 100 years but um nobody's beating in this year <laughs> no who's the team that has the highest chance houston San Antonio. There's zero percent. Nobody does that. Does that ruin your enjoyment of the game? Yes. So you. So so for a lot of. I have a personal goal to watch less NBA this year. Oh really? Yeah. Just because knowing the ending, it's like knowing the ending of a movie, right? Yeah. Because I did it last year in spite of knowing. There's so many variables, though. There's so many variables. Injury is the only possible variable. Unless little little tweaked ankle. Would it, it would be, take more than be nothing a more angle. satisfying to see a team take down the Warriors. So that's that's my thing. When you have a juggernaut like that, yeah. for me, I mean, yes, they have a higher percent chance to win than any other team in sports to win their sports championship. But if that team loses, nothing would be crazier. It'd be like when the Patriots lost to the Giants back in 2007 when yeah. they were 18 and 0 going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like nothing was sweeter for a casual fan than seeing that team lose, and it would be like that if a team knocked off the Warriors this year too. So for me, that makes it worth it. Yeah, like may- for the journey and all the stories. Ne- maybe next year. Yeah. One more year. <laughs> One more year. Well, I mean, it I it just you. ain't happening this year. There's not a chance. There's always a chance. All, always a chance. No, it's not like they're the like Seattle SuperSonics like losing mm-hmm. to in the first rounds. Like mm-hmm. it just ain't happening. You're on the road right now. Infinite content tour for your album, everything now. It's your third straight album to go number one on Billboard. The band has worldwide success, and yet, well, the funny thing is, is I'm sure there's a lot of people listening. They know, they know, Win Butler more as the celebrity All Star Game MVP in 2016, the yeah. three time champ All Star Game, three straight championships. Yeah, I was Pro- robbed last year for political reasons. Well, yeah, but, I mean, 22 and 11. Yeah. Those, those are big time numbers. <laughs> I mean, th- three three years in a row. I think that's um, the all time. Most points scored in a really? celebrity game. 8 and 12, 2015, 15 and 14, 2016, the year you won MVP. And then 22 and 11, while wearing Jimi Hendrix socks this year in New Orleans. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who are like, Who's Arcade Fire? I know him as the All Star Game guy. Yeah, so. there were a lot of politics in that last that last <laughs> one. Just, I don't think they wanted to give me the mic. That, and it, I, made, I made what I thought was in a. I was played for Team Canada in Toronto. And we won, obviously, but then it's like, what do you do to talk trash to an American team if mm-hmm. you're on a Canadian yeah. team? And pretty much healthcare is your go-to. <laughs> and so, like, just made a comment about maybe poutine. About, Poutine's pretty good. Yeah, but you can buy that yeah. shit in New York. So healthcare is kind of like our trump card. And so it's like, you know, we just won, be- beat the USA in Canada. And so I, you know, mentioned about how the U.S. could learn from Canada about mm-hmm. healthcare, and it was just like immediate cut off like <laughs> it was like watching that on tv i remember thinking like oh shit yeah. sage steel just stole the moment from win butler and you yeah. kind of didn't really you were kind of emotionless standing there but like what was going through your mind like, well, I, as the mic was being pulled from you and you i wasn't that surprised i mean i mean her politics seemed pretty obvious um definitely like more on the conservative side i think it kind of turned on her when she was like complaining about people protesting oh, yeah, at the yeah, L- yeah. lax yeah, yeah. like protesting yep. immigration yeah. Like, oh, I missed my flight. This is so annoying. Like, okay, lady. What's your take um, on that whole stick to sports, stick to music mindset a lot of people have? Because I'm sure you've heard it. I mean, you've probably been heard, when just stick to music. Just play the hits. It's fucking total bullshit. I mean, it's like, it was like the run up to, you know, like the most, the craziest election of my lifetime. Yeah. 
and now like basically Mussolini is president. <laughs> it's like that's now in the past. So it's like if you have like a minute of a spotlight and you can't say anything, like I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't. I mean, it was kind of spontaneous. I wasn't really planning on saying anything, but it's kind of the spirit of the moment. Listening to everything now, especially when the single was first released, for me, I felt like it was probably the best depiction of 2017 of any song really released this year. Um, I know you've said in other interviews that you you can't wait until this album is looked at without context. Uh, but listening to that song, especially the album, was kind of how society has evolved the last three, four years, a major influence on the way you wrote this? Yeah, I mean, you're always trying to put your finger on understanding the situation that we're all in to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a song that probably had like 35 verses at one point and cut it down to three verses. I could, you know, could have written like an hour long song about that kind of subject matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it takes us a long time to make a record. So it kind of, it's, we're in such crazy times right now. It's, it's kind of, I kind of lived through 9-11 being in Canada and the kind of Bush years and kind of some major political ups and downs, but this is definitely, like you kind of, you get desensitized to how insane it is, but it's really like... Especially when the news hits you every single day. Every day. And getting pummeled by it. It's really interesting, like, because we're playing in Tampa and Miami in a couple weeks and obviously like the big Houston storm and mm-hmm. and kind of... I found that during the Houston storm, the only way you could get any real information is just calling friends that live in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like literally just trying to see if we're going to be able to play in Tampa in a couple of weeks to try and get actual information. Yeah. The way the the media and the news is now is so crazy because basically like elections and terrorist attacks and storms and stuff, that's basically what keeps CNN on the air and all these networks. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of how they get paid. And so... I, I remember seeing a headline that was like, Irma changes course. And it's like, it's a hurricane. The course of it is where it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that is its course. <laughs> it can't change course because its course is where it goes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's not <laughs> a valid piece of news. And so the, it's like trying to like suck people into like clicking on all this crap. And it's, you know, it's not like these benevolent the people that are kind of controlling all this stuff. It's not like it's like this benevolent thing. It's like, we're basically just being mined for our data. And, and it's, it's, it's just a really crazy time, you know? Um, yeah, it, it's not, and it's not like peace and love vibes. It, it kind of reminds you of like 1969, mm-hmm. like, you know, war in Vietnam and like the, the kind of, it it really feels like one of those times where America's really like in a moment of trying to understand even what it is. Is that one of the reasons your brother Will is putting out those disco town halls? They're the kind of the after parties on the tour uh, where you guys are talking to organizations, activists, politicians. Um, yeah, it's trying to trying to just wherever we are do something locally. Um, I, the first one that he did was in New York, and it was like um, someone talking about closing Rikers. Rikers Island prison mm-hmm. and so a bunch of fans and half of them don't even really know that there's a mm-hmm. political bent to yeah. it and they're just yeah, kind of yeah. showing up and they're, yeah, like, yeah. they're like what is this weird yeah, after party yeah. where like someone's <laughs> talking about Rikers Island yeah. 
We try and find the balance, you know. Like we wouldn't do that in our arcade fire show because they're just shouting out song names. We exist. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't exactly crown of love. It's it's easier to do just people to choose to be there, but also like a very few people that are very motivated mm-hmm. in in a very local context can make a tremendous amount of difference. And so I I don't know. I mean I I basically my. Radiohead and The Clash and all these bands I listened to when I was a kid really ended up changing my view of the world as a kid from suburban Houston like kind of opened up my perspective on the world and made me more curious about the world and same thing with Akeem you know like watching him play it's like you just become curious about the world outside of your little bubble of where you are and so that to me that's all for the greater good um, Seems like a good place to end. We got to wrap this up, yeah. Win, because you got a show to play. But one Sports. last question for you: You have a break in the tour, mid December until April. Is that break strategically there so you can play in your fourth straight Celebrity All Star game? You know, if I get the invite, um, I'll, I'll be. I think it's in L.A. this it year. It is in L.A. Yeah, I'll, I wouldn't I'll, go if it was like in somewhere lame. But okay. yeah. it's don't, don't want to say any cities, but <laughs> <laughs> don't want to don't want to pick on anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's in LA. I mean, you, you, you want to be there. I mean, I hate LA, but I, it's easy to go to LA. <laughs> yeah. The weather's nice. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll be there there that week. That's where the yeah. ringers' offices are. I'm excited. It's for really. It. I mean, it's such a pleasure as a fan to go to. I mean, to go to that thing because there's just like so many people milling yeah. about. And when I was in New Orleans, it was amazing because it's like. In New York, everyone just gets in a black SUV and disappears. Mm-hmm. But in New Orleans, like, it's so small yeah. that I met, like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just on the street in the French Quarter. Like, everyone's kind of walking around, and it's 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 pretty it's, special. It's a different city, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. One last thing. Uh, this will be my third time seeing Arcade Fire. I saw you guys three years ago. I saw you guys last month at Lollapalooza. Um, seems like this tour, there's a lot more production. Uh, what can fans of the band expect to see from you guys on this tour? It, I'm extremely p- proud of this tour it's the production is kind of the craziest we've ever done and we're kind of doing it in some smaller cities we're playing new orleans and we're, we're playing a lot of cities that we haven't typically played in and um so yeah i think that if you this might be the last show of this magnitude that we do for a very long time so if like people are curious to see what our band's like i think it's a we're playing about as good as we've ever played so you know, it's a young man's game, so I, I would I would say check us out now. Hey, man, Roger Waters still going at seventy. Yeah, dude, but it's not the same as the sixties. <laughs> Win, appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to Win Butler from Market Fire for joining the show. I had so much fun talking hoops with him, and I really hope you enjoyed it as well. Follow Win on social media at DJ Windows ninety eight, and please give the Ringer NBA show a rating, five star rating wherever you listen to our podcast. Peace out. Peace out.